Today, we're going to conclude our series called Born for This. It's been uh, the book of Esther. Past several weeks, we've been studying it. Uh, each week, this is what's really been cool to me. Each week, what we've seen is how God moves and works in the lives of his servants. He used, how he used Esther and Mordecai. Think about it over these last weeks, the things that they've faced and how he's used them and how he's given them wisdom at, at critical moments that would guide them. Then he would give them favor that would protect them, and eventually he gave them blessings that would show everyone, both Jews and Gentiles, that God is in control over the affairs of men. And we've also seen that even when it appears that evil is in control and winning, and have you ever had times in your life when it looks like evil is in control and winning? Yeah, isn't it good to know, and we've seen in Esther, that the fact is that nothing is done until God says it's done. Okay? Nothing's done. And finally, we've seen how God sometimes chooses to use unlikely people, even a pagan king like Xerxes, to be used to accomplish his plans for his people. So today, we're going to complete this study, and we're going to start it by beginning in God's Word. We're going to look at uh, Esther 9 and 10. Uh, fortunately for you, ver chapter 10 is a very short chapter, so it's really just one chapter and a couple extra verses, okay? I didn't want you guys to think you were going to miss lunch. Okay, so if you've got your Bible, uh, let's open up to Esther chapter 9, or you can follow it up on the, uh, on the screen, whichever you prefer. So here we go, Esther, starting with chapter 9, verse 1. It says, on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adder, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. And on this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities and all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, the king's administrators helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces, and he had become more and more powerful. So the Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and they did what, pleased, uh, they, did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. They also killed Haman's ten sons, the enemies uh, of the Jews, but they did not lay hands on their plunder. The number of those killed in the citadel of Susa was reported to the king that same day. The king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the 10 sons of Haman in the citadel of Susa. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your petition? It will be granted you. What is your request? It will also be granted. Well, if it pleases the king, Esther answered, Give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out today's edict tomorrow also, and let Haman's ten sons be impaled on poles. So the king commanded that this be done, and an edict was issued in Susa, and they impaled the ten sons of Haman. The Jews in Susa came together on the fourteenth day, and they put together and they put to death in Susa three hundred men, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of them, but did not lay a hand on their plunder. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adder, 
On the 14th day, they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. The Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and the 14th, and then on the 15th they rested and made it a day of fasting. That's why rural Jews, those living in the villages, observed the 14th of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting uh, and a day for giving presents to each other. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned to joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe these days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the pur, that is the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme of Haman that he had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head and that his sons should be impaled on poles. Therefore, these days were called Purim, for the word pur, because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them. The Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom they, uh, that they and their descendants and all who joined them should fail to observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote, the full, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of Xerxes' kingdom, Words of goodwill and assurance to establish these days of Purim at their designated times, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed them, and as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regard to the times of fasting and lamentation. Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it was written down in the records. Chapter 10. King, Ver uh, King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the kingdom, throughout the empire, uh, to its distant shores, and all his acts of power and might, together with the full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews." Lord, today we just commit this time in the word to you. Father, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you, Lord, that we can build our lives on it. Now, Lord, today we just pray that you would reveal truth to us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here to speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, just a quick review of a couple of those highlights that we read, because that was a pretty good passage of scripture, right? You all memorized it, I'm sure, as I read it. Okay, let's just remember... So on the appointed day, right, we remember back from earlier in the book when we were studying it that, that Haman had talked, you know, had talked King Xerxes into letting him destroy Mordecai and all the Jews, and he had cast a lot to pick the day. So on the day that that came, interestingly enough, the Jews didn't take up, they didn't like circle their wagons to play defense. 
it says that they assembled themselves and went on offense. Now, the enemy tries to look big and powerful so that when he comes at us, we'll all circle our wagons and get on a defensive position and just try not to suffer too much loss. But that's not what the Jews were called to do. And that's not what you and I are called to do. We weren't ever called to play defense. In fact, if you think about the armor of God, it's all about offense. It's all about moving forward. It's all about pushing ahead. And so on that day, they didn't, they didn't circle for defense. They went on offense, and they attacked those who planned to destroy them. And it says that fear overtook those people. Now, look, you know, think about your enemy can look huge, can look, can look big, can look strong. But if God puts fear in them, allows them to experience fear, it doesn't matter how big, smart, fast, tough they are. These guys were fearful of the Jews. It also says that King Xerxes' officials... Who would have thought it? Because Mordecai is now high-ranking in the court, they all thought, we better support the Jews because our boss is one of them. So, in fact, the, 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 the government, if you will, the soldiers that were probably out in the garrisons in all these provinces, they weren't attacking the Jews. They were helping to defend them. The Jews killed Haman's ten sons. They wiped out his family line, is what that was. And that's very typical in the culture of that part, at that time in history, in that part of the world, is if, if, if you conquered a country and you conquered a king, you didn't just kill the king. You killed all the king's family, friends, and relatives. You killed anybody that later might decide to come back and take revenge. And so they wiped out his sons. Now, it says that they didn't take any plunder. A couple of things there I thought were important because it says that several times. You know, you got to remember, one thing is that King Xerxes, after they had hung Haman, remember a couple of weeks ago when he got caught, that they gave Haman's estate to Esther. So when the ten sons were killed, well, Esther already had the estate, so that would have gone to her. So first of all, they really couldn't have taken it. But I think there's actually a bigger thing at play here. If you, if you recall from week one on this thing, that, that this battle, this conflict between Mordecai and Haman was actually a rematch from hundreds of years earlier between King Saul and, and uh, uh, King Agag, a, yeah, the, of the Amalekites. Remember when King Saul, God had told him, go wipe them out. And he went and fought them, but he kept some of the best animals, and apparently left some of the people alive. And remember later, I mean, this is that scripture everybody's heard before, when uh, Samuel, when Samuel walks up to Saul and says, what is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? You know, what is this lowing of cattle? It's, this, it's the plunder that, that Saul wasn't supposed to have. Now, the reason that's all important for this little history lesson is this, is that Haman, the Agagite, he's from Agag, he was an Amalekite, wouldn't have ever been born if Saul had done what he was supposed to do, which was wipe them all out. So when you look, here's the point for us. One of the big overarching themes of this book is when you don't do what God tells you to do today and do it exactly and fully as he says it, somewhere down the line, someone else pays a price. And somewhere, if that's God's will that those people be wiped out, then somewhere, someone down the line is going to have to finish the job that you chose to be disobedient and not do. And so that's what was going on here. So the, one, so the other reason that they didn't take any plunder was because back here when God had first given the assignment to Saul, he had told them, do not take any plunder. Everything about these people is to be dedicated to me. 
So they were just being obedient hundreds of years later to direction that God gave way back here. So you know what? You can learn your lessons fast. You can learn them slow. But somewhere you're going to learn them. Okay? And how, and how much pain you want in your life has a lot to do with how quick you decide to get on what God has said and stop doing your own thing. It's really that simple. Okay, so that's kind of where we are. Then they, they impale Haman's sons. Uh, that was a sign. When you impale somebody, remember, these guys are already dead. So they didn't kill them. They'd already killed them. They stick them up and impale them on these poles. That was a sign that you're cursed by God in that culture. And so they just wanted to show everybody. And think about it. All the people that were left are seeing this going, okay, you know, this is, this is, I'm going to learn from this. They kill 75,000 throughout the provinces. If you remember when they first posted the, the edict that Haman wrote a few weeks ago, and it said that the, that the people in Susa were bewildered. Well, you know what? The Jews were good citizens. They were paying their taxes and doing good things. And so, I mean, the, there wasn't this anti-Semitism. They were just part of the folks that lived with them. I mean, all these other people had been conquered and captured, and a lot of, not all of them were Persian. And so, I mean, they had all figured out how to get along. But, if, but almost a year has gone by since that edict, and, and, if, and since the people have known that they had the right to kill these people and take their stuff, I'm sure that gave some time for some people to decide not to like the Jews and start to dislike them and get ready. But, so they kill 75,000 of them uh, because those were the people that were set to attack them. Okay? Then it tells us that, that Mordecai and Esther wrote the whole story down. You know, we've got to remember that we've had the benefit of reading the whole thing and from the perspective of history, all the people living out in the 127 provinces wouldn't have known the whole story of Haman. They would have just gotten the edict. The edict didn't tell the whole story. The edict just told them that on a certain day they were supposed to wipe out the Jews. So now Mordecai and Esther record the whole story and then send it out to all the provinces along with the, the, the setting up the, the Feast of Purim as a permanent thing so that there would be a history of it so that people in future generations wouldn't just know, well, we have, we have a meal on a certain day, but we don't know why. So they, they created this and they wrote it and they sent it out so that there would be this, this opportunity for the Jews to celebrate what this celebration of Purim, that's actually like, it's the celebration of a great reversal, right? It's the celebration of deliverance. And that was always on this date, Nisan 17, okay? That's the month in the, in the Jewish calendar. And, you know, God, it's just a real quick thing I got to tell you, but God doesn't do anything by, uh, by, you know, on a lark, does he? Everything God does is very intentional. And, you know, that date is mentioned probably 15 times throughout Scripture. And it's all got to do with dates of deliverance and renewal. That's, that's, it's like the new things begin. That's not only the day Jesus came out of the grave, was resurrected. That's the day the ark uh, landed on Mount Ararat. I mean, if you can just go through and find that date in Scripture, you can, you know, if you've got a search deal, you can search for Nisan 17th. And you'll find that there are so many uh, things that happened on that specific day that where God provided deliverance and renewal. Okay, and then in, finally in chapter 10 what we saw was that, and I think this is pretty cool, Mordecai, who's this guy that has grown in prominence, right? He's now second only to the king. Mordecai, now Haman, right, when he was in, you know, the top guy, he was like all about, look at me, right? He was all about, you know, bow down before me, give me all this honor. Mordecai is now the second guy, 
And Mordecai, who all throughout the book of Esther was known as Mordecai the Jew, right? Now he could be called, you know, Mordecai the important guy or, you know, vice president or whatever title he wanted. In chapter 10, it's still just called, he just called himself Mordecai the Jew because he understood that everything that had happened to him and all the good that was now coming to him was not about him. It was from God. Everything he had was from God, and so he never lost his gratitude and his trust in God. Look, I think it's really encouraging to see that so often throughout Scripture, God chooses ordinary people. He uses folks just like us. Okay? I mean, it's, we, we want to try to give people, like we, we, we elevate people in the Bible to like these heroes, you know, these, these mat, like they were like giants and, you know, whatever. Look, I mean, Mordecai and Esther, think about what we've read. They were just folks. They, they were just Jews that had been taken, you know, and born in captivity and, and, and were living there. And, I mean, they were, they, in, in the world's view, they were nobodies. They were nobodies. They, they weren't on the news. They were just living their lives in the city. But isn't it interesting that, and, and if you think about it, we would have never heard of them. We would not know the names Mordecai and Esther because they wouldn't be in the Bible if they hadn't decided to listen to God and be obedient to his call on their lives, okay? I just think that's really great. Look, we're just like Mordecai and Esther in a lot of ways because throughout our lives, just like them, we face challenges. We face difficulties. We face, we face attacks of evil. Now, not all the attacks on our lives are life and death. They can be, right? They can be, but, but we get attacked in a lot of different ways. And usually, if you think about it, if you've experienced this or you're going through it right now, those attacks usually come from people that first show no regard for God. And then what's really crazy is that in spite of their very ungodly lifestyle and manner, they seem to be prospering. They seem to be doing okay. They seem to be moving ahead right while they're either holding us back or pushing us down. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think that's real life. Okay, so what's the deal? Well, okay, so just like uh, Esther and Mordecai, you know, who walked faithfully in the face of danger, trusting God for his blessing and deliverance, what we want to look at is how can we walk faithfully? How can we be confident in God's blessing in our lives as well? And so what we need to do, first of all, we've got to understand is that no matter what we're facing, we need to be certain of God's provision. We've got to be certain of it. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11, I quote that a lot here because I just happen to think it's really a good verse, okay? But Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Did you read that? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God is telling you he has plans for you. Do not ever let anybody or do not let the enemy convince you that somehow, one, that you were a mistake, or that two, that, that like you're just sort of living this random life for which there is no plan. You, then you've just said you deny God's word. Because God is talking to you right there when he says, I have plans for you. Okay? So if, let's get that. If, if you left today with, and you just quit listening, you know what I mean? You said, okay, at some point I'm going to quit listening because I'm tired. Okay? Don't, then, 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 then get this in your heart and then you can quit. Because I'm okay. If you, if you got nothing out of today, but this right here. I have plans for you. But he says more. 
Those plans are to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So listen, if you're going through some stuff right now that is not prospering you and it's harming you, then I got news for you. That's not God's plan for your life. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't some purpose to it, but that's not the ultimate plan. That's not where he's going to leave you off and say, yep, you're there. I intended for you to just, you know, to suffer and, you know, okay, there's, there's a plan. So we need to be confident in God's plans. I have a question for you, though. But if God really, if you believe that, right, if God really does have plans for our life, why, why didn't he just make them more clear? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, what kind of learning? Like, the growth comes not from the destination; it's getting. It's 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 getting there, right? Yeah. I mean, look, you know, isn't another part that's kind of like a basic part of what we do, and it all call faith. Well, if God, you know, just emailed me with sort of my life's plan, <laughs> and He just said, "Okay, you know." On, on, on March, you know, on, on July the 15th, that's today, isn't it? Yeah, July 15th, you know, Steve, you're supposed to be at uh, G7 here on the quadrant, you know. So, you know, I just get over there and I go, okay, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I mean, look, I don't know about you, my life hadn't been quite that simple, you know. And, and, and I've made a few mistakes along the way, and I bet if you wanted to be honest, you'd say you have too, okay. But, but you know what the good thing is? It's, I, I've, I've told this, I've got to tell it really fast. You know, you know if you've got a GPS system, one of the first GPS systems in, my, in a car I had years ago is one of the early ones, okay? And it, and it, and it talked, and it was, I, I plugged, I always wondered what would happen if you disobeyed. I really did. I got to wonder one time, like, would the car shut down? Or me? I, this, is, this is years ago, so the thing was like, you know, I, we all know the answer, right? But I didn't know because I'd always obeyed what it said, you know? And so, because I, gro- I, I was raised that way, to listen to, you know. So it said, told, turn me to turn right somewhere, and I just kept on driving. And, and it, and it kind of, and it was funny. The screen on the little thing kind of went all haywire, and it sort of started blinking, and, and the, this little symbol started flashing, and in a couple of seconds, it sort of, you know, re, you know, re, re caught itself up. And, and it said, and it said, um, it said, at the first opportunity, turn around and go back. And I thought to myself, it struck me, that's God. That's God in our lives. We have the freedom to go where we want to go. But what he does, the Holy Spirit's whispering in our ear and says, at the first opportunity, turn around, go back, get back on the path. Okay, and, and so when we're not experiencing it, okay, we got to understand that we may be needing to get on the path. But that's why God doesn't just give us the whole plan because, you know what, part of the plan is the journey. And, the, and here's the challenge, is that a lot of the things that we get along the journey is building some spiritual muscles to, ha- to handle what's over here at the end. You know, there's blessings that God wants to give you. And everybody talks about money, okay, because that's always, you know, okay. But just for a second, I'm going to use money, okay. You know we're not a prosperity deal or any of that stuff. But let's just use money because it makes a simple example here. God might actually want to be give you some money. I mean, you're going to have to go earn it. But he wants to put you in a place where you can earn some money. But you know what? If he gave you a lot of money but you've never learned how to handle money, What's that money going to do to you? Is it going to be a blessing? No, it can be a curse. 
Because it, honestly, it's, we've said this before, you know, if you go, go read the history of like, I think it's about 60, 70% of all the NFL players, they're bankrupt within five years of quitting football. Because it's not that they're bad folks, but a lot of them came from no money and all of a sudden they have millions of dollars and there's nobody wanting to teach them anything. There's just a whole lot of people trying to help them lose their money. You understand? I mean, that, that's just like the most easy example. And you, if you don't believe me, you can go Google it, you read it. I mean, that's, that's actually a fact. Okay? It's just a prime example of this. Listen, God, but, but think about it. Some of us need to build some spiritual muscles in telling the truth. Some of us need to build some spiritual muscles in a good work ethic. Some of us, do you see what I mean? There's all kinds of spiritual muscles we need. And why would God put you over here in this job that you're looking at going, oh, man, if I only had that job, oh, life would be so good. If he knew if he plopped you there in it right now, it would, it would hurt you. It would destroy you because you're not ready to handle it. So, so God, he has these plans, but he, but he wants us to be on the, on the process. I mean, the fact is, we can be certain in his provision, but, you know, God just isn't going to direct deposit his plans into our little bank account of our lives, is he? He's, he we're going to have to go through this process. Let's, I mean, is that really biblical, you know? Yeah, think about it. Let's think about Job. Let's think about Daniel. Think about Joseph. Think about what they went through. Just like Mordecai and Esther, God richly blessed those three guys, and he promoted them into positions of power, didn't he? Think about Joseph, Daniel, and Job, but not before they were tested and proven to be capable of handling the blessing. Joseph, I mean, my goodness, Joseph got sold to slavery by his own brothers. I mean, you want to talk about getting attacked from like the most unexpected sources. I mean, you know, you talk about the bad things, the Haman in his life coming after him. Man, it wasn't from the outside. It was from his own family. Then he later gets falsely accused by, what is it, Pot, uh, the Potter's you know, wife gets thrown into the dungeon. So he had to live through one pit and then a dungeon for a number of, year, for a number of years. Now, we suffer for about 10 minutes and think, oh, God, get me out of this. I'm ready. Let me, let's move on. Listen, sometimes, you know, if what God has got planned for you is this big, and right now your muscles to handle it are only this big, it may take more than 10 minutes of crying out to God to get over here. You may have to go. You see what I'm saying? Now, here's why this is important is because think about Mordecai and Esther. Think about the stuff they went through. Esther's this young little girl living in Susa, just, just being a good girl, going, I'm sure she's going to school and, you know, taking piano lessons and doing all these nice things. And all of a sudden, what happens to her? She gets picked out of nowhere to be part of the king's harem. Now, I, now, I didn't live back then, and I don't know, but somehow I would not be thrilled if that was my daughter. I mean, I mean, just think about it. Let's be practical for a second. I mean, I, that, to, you know what I mean? I got, a, I got all these plans for my daughter, and I'm counting on her. I can't wait till she grows up and, you know, does these things and gets married and gives me grandchildren. And now she's whacked off, you know, to the, to the harem, and we don't know if I'll ever see her again. And, and, and you know, the, who knows what's going to happen, right? But, I mean, I, was, I wouldn't think it was really great. But look what happened. Look what happened. God used this, this moment to pre-position her over here 
to deal with a problem that at the time he did it, that problem didn't even exist yet. Haman wasn't on the scene when God moved Esther from her home over here for that year's worth of beauty school treatments, right? And then the king happened to choose her. The king just happened to choose her. Imagine that. No, I mean, but, but do you see that in the process, things wouldn't look that good. If it was my daughter, I wouldn't be thinking things were looking that good. But see, I don't know yet that my, that my daughter's life and my life are going to be threatened by somebody that hadn't shown up yet, and my daughter's all of a sudden going to be the one in the place that can deal with it. Do, do you say, do you, can you see that this could be going on in your life and my life too? That right now, you could be in the middle of some stuff that does not look good. It looks like it's a mess. It looks like it's wrong. It doesn't look fair. It doesn't look like God could possibly be in it. But can you conceive of the fact that God might actually be using that thing, even though you don't get it yet? I believe I serve a God who says, my ways are higher than your ways. My, my Texas version of that is, folks, you just don't understand what God's doing. He's a little smarter than you and me. <laughs> you know, he's a little smarter than us. And so just because you can't understand it doesn't mean it's not understandable by God. Okay, so I wonder how many times in our life God's actually got something. I mean, if, if that Jeremiah 29, 11 is true, and it says he has plans for you and they're good, but right now what I'm going through is not good, at least in my view, it's not good, then what's, what gives? Well, could it be that I'm in that process of getting moved, prepositioned, building some spiritual muscle, do you see what I mean? To be somewhere that I don't even know it's an important place for me to be because the problem isn't there yet. But one day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go, huh, maybe I'm here for such a time as this. That's what, listen, that's that, Philip had it. That's the faith walk. That's the thing about being confident in God's provision. God, we talk about people who jerk us around. I got news for you, and I want you to be really confident in something. God does not jerk you around. Okay? God will train you. God will will discipline you if he needs to. But you know what? He always does it in this loving way, that like that GPS thing that says, first chance you get, turn around. Turn around. I got plans for you. They're good. But the path you're following is not good, so get back on my plan. Doesn't mean my plan will be easy. Right? You might live in the pit. You see what I mean? You might, you know, Job. I mean, (laughs) let's use Job for a second, okay? Job had a wife and beautiful children, and they were all successful. And Job was, by all accounts, the richest guy maybe that ever lived. I don't know, with Solomon, they probably are, you know, one and two somewhere in there, right? Don't know. But all I can tell you is Job lost everything, right? Job lost his family, lost all his money, he lost his health. Job, well, I I misspoke. Job lost everything but one thing. Job didn't lose his faith and his confidence in God. The world would have looked at Job, and the world did. Some of his friends, right, they started saying, Job, even his wife said, just curse God and die. You'd be better off. Why would you, why would, that's what his wife told him. Curse God and die. Be done with it, okay? And his friends were like, what did you do wrong, Job? Well, you know what? Job didn't do anything wrong. 
See, just because we're going through something tough doesn't mean we did something wrong. And, but, but think of what happened. God, because Job stood firm, Job said, I can't explain it. I don't understand it. I don't even know what's going on. I feel terrible. Everything abound me. I'm sad. I'm, I'm, I've lost everybody I love. But, but in the end, Scripture tells us that God blessed Job. And it said that the second half of his life was even better than the first. And in fact, he gave him twice as much. He had twice as many kids. He had twice as much money. He had twice as many cattle and camels and goats and everything than he had the first part. So people like to say he gave him double for his trouble. Okay? But I mean, but the fact is, God blessed him. But think about it. The path from where he was to where he ended up was not by what we would call pleasant. So the key is not, and the question is not, oh, God, will you make my life easy? Because there's going to be time. I mean, we can all pray that, right? But, boy, you know, very few of us, I think, get that one answered quite like that. But what we find is, oh, God, help me to be faithful in the things I'm in, right? Wherever, whatever the deal is I'm in the middle of right now, whether it looks good, feels good, sounds good, whether my friends think it's a good thing or not, God, it, all that's kind of irrelevant, God. I, what I really need to know is, are you in it? Are you in it, God? Is this, you know, th- look, there's some, there's some jobs that you might be supposed to take, but you're not ready for it yet, but you need to get ready. And sometimes that getting ready means you got to go take some classes. Well, I don't want to take any classes. Well, then you, then what you're, God's got plans for you. You get to choose whether you get on the plan or not. That's your part. That's your choice. Okay? So we just got to remember that, that we want to we follow what God has for them. This, finally, look, we just want to pursue God's plan in our lives, don't we? You know, if we're not careful, we can get comfortable where we are. Because sometimes that path from where I am to where God wants me to go, sometimes it's a hard path. Right? Sometimes it can look difficult, but sometimes it's not a hard path. Sometimes it actually looks like a good path. It seems like a reasonable path, but it's just not where God wanted me to be. Love story. I mean, think about it. Back in the old, old West in the frontier days, right? Read the stories about the wagon trains. Okay, well, you know, all these people, right, on the East Coast, you know, they heard about all the, the, the life in California. You know, that it was... Golden. It was wonderful, right? So all these wagon trains left the East Coast, bound for California. You know how most of the towns in the Great Plains got populated? Somebody, well, think about it. You couldn't, you could, I mean, today we fly from New York to L.A. in a few hours, or we drive there in a couple of days. Remember, this was like months. And depending on when you left Ohio or Pennsylvania or wherever, you might have hit North Platte, Nebraska, or South, whatever it was, North Platte in. The only reason there's a town there has got to be somebody's wheel fell off their wagon. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but I mean, the, the histories of a lot of these towns, they got, they got planted and populated for one of two reasons. Either a wagon train hit that spot at like right as winter was setting in and they had to stop anyway because they couldn't get over the mountains or couldn't get to the pass to get over 
to the West Coast before the snow fell, so they had to camp there for the winter. They had to stay there. Well, come spring, some of them decided they thought, well, I don't really feel like doing this anymore, and I think oh, this looks like good soil. I'll just plant some crops, and I'll stay here. I'll see you guys, and they waved them on, and they stayed there. Okay? Some of them, somebody got sick. Somebody, their wagon broke down. They just decided to give up and stay where their trouble put them. Look, that's in our lives. We've got the same choices. Okay? We've got the same choices. Now, if God's called you to North Platte, great, go there. But if God's called you to, you know, Oregon, don't quit. Okay? We, we, our, our goal is we want to pursue God's time in life. Because think about it. If Joseph had done that, if Joseph had said, oh, well, this pit's not so bad. This dungeon, hey, at least I'm the head, you know. Think about it. In the dungeon, Joseph was like the head guy in the dungeon. Remember the, the jailer? Yeah, he trusted him and all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, do you want to be the head guy in the dungeon or do you want to get out of the dungeon? So he could have quit. Daniel would never have walked out of the lion's den. And more, Think about it. Mordecai and Esther, if they had just said, well, this Haman is too strong. This edict is beyond our control. They would have been dead. And the Jews have been wiped out with them. So it's, it's our, we've got to pursue God's plan in our lives. We've got to, we've got to allow him to use us the way he, he chooses to do because we all have God-ordained things that we've got to do. Let's just remember Ephesians 2.10 says we're God's handiwork. We're God's handiwork, and we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. So he's got a plan for us, and he not only has a plan for us, but he created stuff in advance of creating the world for us to do it. Okay, he set you, listen, God has set you up, but he set you up for success, not for failure. Okay, so if somebody wants to call it a setup, say yes and amen, Lord, but it's a setup for success because he's got plans for you. He's got plans for you. Look, we just got to decide, you know, it's easy to say with Esther and Mordecai, oh, well, yeah, but they were saving a whole race of people. I mean, that's a big thing. I'm not that person. Yeah, well, maybe that's not your assignment, okay? You know, maybe you just got an unlovable family member. Anybody ever had one of those? Yeah, maybe you just got an unlovable family member or a mean neighbor. And did you ever think that maybe God has just put you at your current address or let you be born into that family? allowed you to be born into that family so that maybe at the right time you could be that person to show God's love to them. You could be that person. You know, nobody's saying it's going to be easy. And in fact, what you got to remember is along the way, nobody's even going to tell you that those people are going to appreciate your efforts. We don't get that kind of promise. But if I'm over here and I'm pursuing what God has and, I, and, and, I, and I've prayed and I've asked God, God, show me what you have for me. He says, it's over there. Right there it is. And I can see that I'm supposed to get over there. There may be pits. There may be mountains. There may be muddy swamps. There may be mean people and big dogs. But I got a choice. I can pursue it, and I can trust God's provision to see me through each of those obstacles, whether he sends me through it, under it, around it, or he sends an angel ahead of me to blow it up. It does, but, I mean, think about it. 
Have you, have you ever seen God answer some prayer for you that there's no sense to it? I mean, you, you can't even hardly believe it happened either. But God just, you know, I mean, look, part of this, this process, and I'll finish here, okay? But I love, I mean, I love this story. But think about it. Part of this process, I always wonder, God, how come you don't work faster? Right? I mean, you know, really. I mean, I'm a, <laughs> I, got place, <laughs> I got places to be. I mean, you know, let's get on with it. Do you ever think that part of that time is not only is he refining me and you and building spiritual muscle in me and you and training us to, to have faith in him, but remember that in that same period of time, he's touching other people's hearts too. That, that person who's got that hard heart and that bad attitude who won't listen to you right now while you're... Remember Esther and Mordecai, how did they start their battle? With three days of prayer and fasting. They didn't go on television some rant and rave or go on social media and blast everybody and claim foul and not fair and that's wrong. They got down on their knees and prayed and asked God. And I'm pretty sure part of their prayer was, oh God, change the heart of this king. Give us favor with the king. God, we don't know how you're going to deal with Haman. He looks powerful. He looks unstoppable. We know we're not going to be able to beat him on our own. God, do something. Please help us. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, you know, that neighbor of yours or that family member of yours, it looks impossible right now that there is no solution for that. I mean, you would think this cannot happen in my lifetime. Well, maybe it could if it started with three days of prayer and fasting, if that's what God called you to. Or if it started by just ask God, do, do you have a role for me in this situation? Because, you know, part of what we also learn in this is don't get in fights that aren't yours. Don't, don't, go, don't go put yourself in the middle of a battle that you're not called to. Now, God's called you. There are some battles he will call you to. But remember, if you go stick in, step into one that he didn't call you to, that might be because he's been calling someone else. Okay, so first of all, you're going to get in trouble if you get in someone else's battle, okay, because God didn't equip you or promise you provision for that battle. He promised you one for this other one, but you're also getting in the way of somebody else not doing their call. You're blocking someone else. So we need to listen to God's call, but then we need to go there. We need to listen to him, and we need to allow God to use us in things that may look impossible at the moment, but they're possible with God. They're possible with God. So, you know, whatever it is he's called you to do, it may be something you're not comfortable doing. It might be to start a Bible study in your home or apartment or a neighborhood coffee shop. It might be do that. It might, maybe you've been feeling that way for a while. You know, you think, oh, I need more training. Maybe God's telling you, no, you know enough. If you know one th verse more than the people you're meeting with, you're ready to go. Maybe he's calling you to do that, okay? What, but whatever he's called you to do, pray about it. Ask him to confirm it. Read his word for wisdom and insight. Seek godly counsel to confirm it. And then pursue it. Start. You know, you know, Nike commercials, right? You know, for years you said, just do it. Just do it. I mean, right? If I want to get in shape, I can buy all the clothes in the world. But if I never go to the gym, <laughs> you know, just, just do it. Get on, the, get on the treadmill. Get on the weight machine. You know, get, get going, okay? If I, if I want to be God's hands and feet, there's an old saying I've always loved. It's not very scriptural, but it says a lot easier to, uh, what is it? It's a lot easier to uh, rein in a runaway horse than to kickstart a dead one. Okay? So my view is start moving. Okay? If, if you're trying to pursue God's plan 
and you happen to be off by, you know, 10 degrees, but you're trying, sincerely seeking God, and you get a little off course, don't you think he'll whisper in your ear with the Holy Spirit? Turn a little bit. You're a little off course. That GPS, that's the first chance. Turn around. Okay? I mean, listen, God, if when you're seeking him, he will not send you down a box canyon or a blind alley. He will, he will help you get on and stay on course. So just trust him to do it, but start. Now, we're done. I want you to stand up. We're going to pray, and we're going to deal with this because all of us, all of us are facing stuff in our lives. I know it. Everything about this morning has, has led to this. It's been all about, uh, the, Philip said it, about people feeling like they've gotten left behind. They're not an important part. Yes, you are. God has got a place for you. He's got things for you. Today's your day to do that. Listen, heads bowed, eyes closed. How many of you have got a Haman in your life right now? Big, powerful problem. It looks like you can't deal with it. It doesn't look like there's any obstacle. If you've got a Haman in your life right now, raise your hand. Yeah, okay, yeah, it's just a lot of hands, okay? So right now, let's just commit to God that, one, we're going to be certain of his provision. We're going to be confident in his strength to handle those Hamans, to handle those issues, okay? And we're going to commit that we're going to start looking to God because we want to pursue his plans for our life. So if that's you, just join me in prayer. Lord, today, we're going to, we give you, Lord, that thing, that Haman, Lord, whether it's a person, an issue, uh, Lord, whatever it is, God, you know. Lord, today we lay it down before you. We're asking you, Father, to deal with it, to remove it, Father, but show us what you want us to do, God. We pray, Lord, that we'll be like Esther and Mordecai, Father, that we will be willing to hear your voice, to pursue your paths, to do the things you've shown us to do. Because, Lord, what we want is we want to live, Lord, understanding that you have plans for us and they're good. And, God, we want to get there, but we want to get there in your strength. So, Lord, today we declare that we're going to pursue your plans for our life. So, Father, now be with us, bless us, guide us. And, God, show us the first step to take. Lord, the journey can look so far from square one. But, Lord, I pray that in every heart and life today that has, that has said they want help, God, show them the first step that they can take in that direction. We ask that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.